Hello, I'm your host and sardonic yet lovable librarian, Joshua Spellman. Welcome to Crimes and Witch Demeanors, the paranormal podcast where we go beyond just rehashing Wikipedia pages and actually delve into historic and archival resources to uncover the truth behind our favorite spooky tales. Today's episode has been inspired by recent personal events that I've been dealing with, specifically with doctors and nurses and hospitals and the like. Uh, The title, however, is a little bit less of a heavy inspiration, and the inspiration for the title was simply Willem. If you know, you know. If you don't, you don't. And some of us have our own little club here, and that's fine. Regardless, today's topic took me on quite the journey, which good research often tends to do. You begin one place and then you end up doing your research and wind up somewhere completely unintended. I mean, this is how the scientific process should work. You should never try and prove your own hypothesis. That's just, no, just be your own worst enemy like I am in my love life, and that is good science, and that is good research. Always try and prove yourself wrong. For today's research, I ended up going from looking at a phenomenon that spans continents and cultures and somehow ended up zeroing in on a very specific location, the homes and hospitals of the beautiful coastal capital of South Australia, Adelaide. Which is not a bad place to end up if you ask me. We could have ended up someplace like Minnesota. Ooh, nothing wrong with Minnesota. Never been. In fact, I say pop as well. So, you know, we have our own little club too. You know, forming clubs all over the place. But anyways, settle in, buckle up. We've got a long flight to Australia ahead. Uh, So let's learn about today's topic, gray nurses. You've got this, Cassie said to herself in the mirror, splashing water on her face. This was her first night on the job as an evening nurse in a new facility. And through a series of unfortunate events, she was the only one on staff. Something like this would never happen back in the city, but things are a little different when you're in a small town, as Cassie would soon find out. Making her way back to the nurse's station, Cassie paused to look around. The hubbub and bustling activity of the day had all but faded away. By this time, most of the patients were already asleep in their beds, leaving Cassie to feel unnaturally alone. The place almost felt abandoned. Even the smallest of sounds, a patient's distant cough, the water dripping from the leaky faucet, her footsteps on the ground, all bounced and echoed through the tiled halls, rising and falling in a cacophony of silence. Cassie nearly jumped out of her skin, but it was only the call button of a patient requiring assistance. She made her way over to the patient's room and introduced herself. Hi there, I'm Cassie. I'm the new evening nurse. Uh, What seems to be the matter? She glanced at the patient's chart. Miss Robel? Oh, please, dear. Call me Trish, the old woman replied. I have the bladder of a small old lady despite being a spry young thing of 79. She chuckled. If you could please just help me on over to the lavatory. Oh, of course, Cassie replied. She walked Trish over to the bathroom and helped her onto the toilet. Another patient needing assistance. Do you mind if I go and help them? Cassie asked. It will give you some privacy. Oh, of course, Trish replied. 
But don't try any funny business and try and get back to bed on your own, Cassie warned, mockingly wagging her finger at Trish. Aye, aye, Captain, Trish said as Cassie made her way to assist the other patient. He was an older gentleman who, while trying to get comfortable in bed, had accidentally ripped out his IV. Cassie was still a little nervous, and being new, it took her a minute to locate the sterile needles. After successfully administering the IV, which also took a little bit longer than usual since the man was afraid of needles, Cassie rushed back over to Trish's room. And that is when she found Trish. Tucked neatly into bed, ready for sleep. Trish, Cassie started. I told you to wait for me so I could help you into bed. You could have fallen. Oh, but but I didn't, Trish exclaimed. The other nurse came and helped me. Confused, Cassie asked with skepticism. The other nurse? The one with the gray uniform and, and the funny little hat. Ah, yes, of course, Cassie replied, not wanting to alarm the old woman. Well, good night, Trish, she said as she turned off the light. As Cassie made her way back into the hall, the phone at the nurse's station began to ring. She rushed on over to answer. Hello, Valley County Medical Center, Cassie speaking. Oh, hi, Cassie. This is Frida, the day nurse. I just wanted to check in and make sure everything was going all right before I headed to sleep. My apologies that we're so short-staffed. Oh, hi, Frida. Yes, yes, everything is going fine. Um, but did you happen to send someone else in to come help work my shift? I just came back from a patient who... Frida cut her off. Oh, so you've already seen her then? Seen who? Oh, never mind, said Frida. Just something silly. Anyways, have a good night, Cassie. If anything comes up, don't hesitate to call. Of course, thanks for checking in. Good night, Cassie said, hanging up the phone. What was Frida on about? But Cassie didn't have much time to mull it over as she heard the echo of shuffling feet. Another patient out of bed? Cassie got up from the nurse's station and peered around the corner. There was someone at the end of the long hall. Cassie squinted to see a little clearer in the dim light. Trish! Cassie scolded, walking closer. I told you not to get out of bed on your own! As she made her way closer to the figure, she realized it was a nurse. She was dressed in gray from head to toe with a funny old-fashioned hat, just like Trish had described. The nurse nodded to Cassie with a wry little smile and winked as she tilted her cap. Then, suddenly, the woman turned on her heel and walked straight into the adjoining wall and vanished. Stories like Cassie's are not unfamiliar to nurses at all. Regardless of culture or region, every hospital has a story like this. Benign nurse figures are often seen roaming hospitals across the world and are referred to as gray nurses or gray ladies because of the color of their uniforms. Are these apparitions the spirits of departed healthcare workers who love their jobs so much in life that they carry on in death? Personally, I find this incredibly hard to believe. While there are so many great nurses out there and other healthcare workers on the front lines absolutely saving us during this pandemic, I cannot help but think of all of my high school bullies who could barely spell catheter, let alone insert one, who are now probably all angels of death. 
But it's actually a really great segue because while throwing shade at some former cheerleaders, maybe gray nurses aren't ghosts at all, but instead are inhuman spirits taking on a familiar form in order to care for our sick and dying. I guess that is kind of literally the definition of an angel. Well, like at least the touched by an angel type of angel that Christians believe in. Not the kind that are concentric spinning rings of fire with 17 glowing red eyes that are so horrifying that gazing upon them will absolutely wreck and melt your feeble human mind. I guess the Hallmark ones. A better image, a better press. But it's interesting how uh, Christians don't depict their angels the way that they're described in the Bible. Anyway, while we may not have all the answers to these specific questions about where gray nurses come from, we can surely try and answer them. As mentioned earlier, despite being a worldwide paranormal phenomenon, my research kept circling back to hospitals in one city, Adelaide. Specifically, the former Royal Adelaide Hospital, now known as Lot 14, as well as Austin Hospital. And unlike the Windsor Hotel from last week, surprisingly, the Austin Hospital actually has an entire webpage dedicated to its gray nurse. Or gray nurses, I don't know. Could be more than one. It's a pretty generic ghost, honestly. But this page actually has stories from their staff, and I'm going to share a couple before we start going to try and research a little bit more about these ghosts. This following story is from their former Divisional Director of Cancer and Neurosciences, Cherry Cheshire. Or Cherry Cheshire. Or Cherry Cheshire depending on how you want to pronounce that. Which, any way you pronounce it, it is still an amazingly alliterative name. And if you're looking to write a book and you need a character name, I suggest you snatch it up. Anyway, seems like a credible source. That title itself seems to command some form of credibility. Director of Cancer and Neurosciences. You don't get there by being an idiot. So here's her story. There were supposed to be three nurses on night shift, but we were short-staffed and only had two. One patient named Carol had complete paralysis due to MS. She could not take a drink of water by herself, however, and she suffered terribly from dry mouth. So the nursing staff attended her at least hourly to help her sip water, even overnight. On this shift, we were flat out. At around 9.30pm, I filled Carol's one liter jug with ice water and gave her a drink. It then got very busy and I didn't manage to get back to her room until midnight. When I did, she only had half a jug of water. She told me the other nurse had been in several times and helped her to drink. I knew this wasn't right, however, because I checked with the other nurse, who said she had not been in the room. When I asked Carol about who helped her with the water, she said it was the older agency nurse in the old-fashioned gray dress. Curious. And this next story is from the former director of nursing and former ICU unit manager, Jen Hancock. While working nights on the old 6A in a Heidelberg house, the buzzer rang and a lady needed a pan. I took it to her and asked her to buzz when she was finished. Ten minutes later, there was still no buzz, so I went to go and check. She was lying down in bed half asleep with the curtains pulled back. She had told me that the other nurse in the gray uniform with a veil had taken it and made her comfortable. But I was working with a male enrolled nurse. I asked the registered nurse who was between the three wards in Heidelberg house and if she knew of anyone in a different uniform. She didn't. I was later told it was a common occurrence in Heidelberg House and that patients had often described the gray nurse. Other nurses at the hospital have reported ghostly occurrences like floating utensils in a hallway that's always ice cold no matter how high the turn on the heat. The former Royal Adelaide Hospital, which has been since partially converted, partially demolished and reconstructed in favor of residential and commercial space, also had tales of the gray nurse. 
So with all these great nurse stories in one city, I tried to do some digging, but without much to go on in these stories, no name, no cause of death, not even a time period, there was really not much to go on. However, I did manage to dig up an old newspaper article about a ghost story that's been circulating in the city of Adelaide for at least a century and a half. That of the Grey Lady. Interesting, hmm? The specter is known as the first ghost of Adelaide, which is a little bit Eurocentric, considering there were probably many Aboriginal indigenous ghosts prior to the colonization of the area, but as usual, I digress. The color association here with the gray lady and the gray nurses is at least interesting, if anything. So are they connected? Could the gray lady and the gray nurses be one and the same? Well, of course, um, it's my job to find out and tell you. The ghost of the Grey Lady was said to haunt a place called Young Husband Mansion. I was curious to find out whether this mansion was located near a hospital or whether it had been demolished in order to make room for one of these present-day hospitals, and I did find my answer. In the October 17th, 1929 issue of the Register News Pictorial, it reads thusly, Grey Lady of North Adelaide, City's Best Ghost Story romantic ghost who sat in cellar. She haunted the young husband mansion, this gray lady of North Adelaide, and in the basement each night could be seen, 60 years and less ago, sitting in her chair in her own particular cellar. Memory recalls only that much of the spirit with the romantic title, but when the nursing sisters of Calvary Hospital became owners of the young husband mansion, they closed the gray lady's cellar, and the gray lady went out of memory. The Archbishop of Adelaide, when he laid the foundation stone of a convent home for the Nursing Sisters of Calvary Hospital, North Adelaide, revived, perhaps, Adelaide's two sole ghost stories. He recalled that the sisters never saw the Grey Lady, but the story no doubt added to their discomfort. The acre on which a Calvary Hospital stands was first owned by Robert Gouger, the state's first colonial secretary. He too owned land near the present Gouger Street, where he built his home, and there he buried his wife and child. This is the foundation of the story of the Grey Lady, it is thought. However illogical might be the idea of the North Adelaide property being haunted, the story grew and was known up to 29 years ago, when the nursing sisters took over the property from the Baker family. When the old house was pulled down to give place to the present modern structure at Calvary Hospital, the story gained another lease on life. So this intrigued me, because the article was written very strangely, even for, like, an article from the 1920s. So I want to learn a little bit more about this mansion to get a clearer idea of the history, and it led me down quite the path. Um, if you follow the podcast on Instagram at Crimes and Witch Demeanors, <laughs> you know where this is going. And if you're not following the podcast Instagram, what are you doing? So the newspaper article wasn't clear on whether Calvary Hospital was the mansion or if the hospital replaced the mansion, or if the mansion was just used as a convent for the nuns of the hospital? Very confusing. So in trying to answer these questions, I stumbled across the blog of a man named Alan Tiller, who, if you have seen the original Teen Titans cartoon, is a dead ringer for the villain control freak. If you know, you know. Dead ringer. Absolute dead ringer. But I'm not here to judge people on their appearances. I'm just making an association so you can picture this man in your head. So Alan Tiller is, as he describes himself, a historian, genealogist, author, paranormal investigator, and the 2017 Emerging South Australian Historian of the Year. Perfect. 
quite the decorated man. And now although his website looks like it was plucked straight from a 2007 Zanga, awful div transparencies and all, it was incredibly useful to me because it led me to his book, The Haunts of Adelaide, History, Mystery, and the Paranormal, Revised Edition. The revised part is all in caps, so you know that the revised part of the book is important. But I am incredibly grateful for his book because it includes a chapter on the Young Husband Mansion, for which there's virtually no digital resources on. Nothing. Even the article about the owner of the mansion doesn't even mention the mansion. Long story short, so while I am grateful for this book and this chapter, I am also grateful that I have Kindle Unlimited, so I didn't have to pay for this book. The entire introductory chapter read like a thread of rage tweets lambasting the prior publisher like ripping into them and just complaining about them. A whole chapter about it. It's it's not the best look, Alan. Save it for Twitter. Not for the book that's published, self-published, that's going to be like living on for eternity. It kind of diminishes the credibility that you have garnered. But again, I am not the 2017 Emerging South Australian Historian of the Year, so I should probably keep my big mouth shut. Unsolicited advice. Maybe next time, make a revised, revised edition and take out the the really aggressive, you know. Anyway, here's what I gleaned from the book. Back on topic. The parcel of land Young Husband Mansion was built on was originally purchased in 1837 by Robert Cock during the first land sale held in Adelaide. Later, Cock sold the land to the first colonial secretary of South Australia, Robert Gouger, who we met in the article. Gouger bought this plot of land because he was under the impression that its high elevation would help ease the pain of his ailing wife, Harriet, who was suffering from tuberculosis. They erected a modest wooden cabin, which apparently barely suited their needs, and sadly, the high elevation proved to offer no health benefits for Harriet, and her, along with her infant child, died. Gaucher buried his wife and child on the land, though they were later moved and interred at West Terrace Cemetery. So the death of Harriet and her child and then being buried on the property is kind of the impetus for the Grey Lady. However, the story doesn't quite end there. In 1842, the land was then sold to Edward Stevens, and then again it was sold in 1846 to the man we're looking for, William Younghusband. William Younghusband was an Englishman who made a killing investing in the Borough Mines, and his house absolutely reflected his wealth. Young Husband Mansion was at one point known as the finest home in all of Adelaide, though I would take that with a grain of salt because it was one of the only ones of its kind in the area, so it's really not up against much. However, the mansion was opulent and grand. It was only one story tall, but it had a ballroom, ornate gardens, secret rooms, underground tunnels, and a very distinctive iron fence. The whole building was also outfitted head to toe in cedar wood. William Younghusband died in 1865, and the house changed hands quite a few times, being abandoned for a while before the lease finally came to rest in the hands of Miss Isabella Baker in 1883. Miss Baker had plans to convert the home into a private hospital, but she couldn't do so until she owned the property outright. It took some time, but after six years, she finally convinced the remaining trustee to relinquish the property. Initially, the mansion became the living quarters of the nuns of Calvary Hospital. The two rooms facing the street were used as bedrooms, behind them was a box room, below a very large basement, and there was another room in the house that had been sealed up. Mysterioso. Behind the seal was a room that had not been finished during Young Husband's occupation of the house. 
It was full of construction materials, dust, and rocks. They just never finished it. Why in like the 15, 20 years he lived there, they didn't finish it is beyond me. Sounds like they had the money to. I don't know. Maybe they're just like, you know, this is fine. I've got my gardens and my distinctive iron fence and secret passageways. I don't need another room. Uh, We'll just leave it. But during the time that young husband lived in the house, many of his guests that came to see the home noticed the sealed up room. And it started rumors around Adelaide that because of Gouger's wife and her baby that had died in the property, the legend of the Grey Lady began. Whether they thought they were buried in that room or the ghost was sealed away in that room, rumors began to fly around. However, the story really took off in 1869 when a newspaper published a story about a ghost spotted sitting in a chair in the basement, Ooh. which the 1929 article also references. Young Husband Mansion was eventually torn down and Calvary Hospital was built on top of the grounds. So pretty much all of the, the thoughts on this were correct. Young Husband Mansion was used as only a convent, but also a hospital, but also it was torn down. So all of the above. Could the Grey Lady have become one of the Grey Nurses as the hospital was built on top of it? Or is her entity altogether separate from these nurse figures? Again, this is impossible to answer, but I think the color association of Grey Nurses and the Grey Lady and the fact that they both involve hospitals, there definitely has to be a connection between the two. It just seems like this cultural memory of this Grey Lady and then the hospital being there and then all of a sudden there's a Grey Nurse. If they're not connected... I I swear, I'm quitting this job, never making a podcast again. But you know what? Maybe I'm wrong, because Alan Tiller didn't make this connection in his book or his blog, and he's the 2017 Emerging South Australian Historian of the Year. So he knows more than I do. They're clearly not related. I'm just being crazy. Whether they are related or not, there's clearly a big presence of gray ghosts in this city. So the former Royal Adelaide Hospital was one of the biggest hotspots for seeing the Grey Nurse. Allegedly, a whole floor of the building was closed due to paranormal activity in the 1980s, though no evidence of this actually exists in any record, it's all anecdotal. It seems a little far-fetched. I mean, a whole entire floor of a hospital? That's, that's a lot. Like, a whole floor. And there's no record of it? A little sus. The Grey Nurse here is much like Grey Nurses everywhere in the world. Her identity? Completely unknown, but her story follows the same pattern that it does elsewhere. So pretty much every Grey Nurse has one of these following origin stories. She was the wife of a doctor who died on the operating table and now haunts the hospital. She was a nurse who died in a car crash on her way to work, and she's there now, working away forever. Or she was pushed down the stairs by a mental health patient. Or, of course, the most Shakespearean, tragic origin story that she accidentally delivered a fatal overdose to a patient and committed suicide. And to repent for her sins, even though it was an accident, she's now slaving away as a nurse until the end of time. Either way, they're all dramatic, they're all camp, and we love it. So the Royal Adelaide Hospital has since moved to a new building, and the old one was partially demolished and partially renovated, converted into shops, apartments, and also became the new location for the Australian Space Agency, which is weird. That's just weird. But construction workers on the site witnessed paranormal activity as they were doing their renovations. Allegedly, a number of workers sent messages to Alan Tiller describing their encounters. Frequently, they would see a person in blue on the upper floors watching the construction staff work. 
When the construction workers called security to find the person, since, you know, it's dangerous to be on an active construction site, especially if they're planning on maybe tearing down the building, you don't want someone in it, but they could never find anyone. Apparently, this happened on numerous occasions. To debunk this, my brain just immediately goes to speedy squatters. And no, I'm not talking about me the day after I have Chipotle. But just like squatters who are A, fast, and then B, just very good at hiding since they've been squatting in a building. Because really, like an abandoned building that construction is happening on is the perfect place for someone to seek shelter with little risk of actually running into anyone. So I'm going to say that, if anything, this person in blue was a squatter. Even though the construction workers thought that possibly this blue outfit could have been scrubs. But also I will say that blue and gray can often be similar under certain light. Though I don't know if light really affects ghosts. I don't I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. I'm so sorry. There's still something I can't help but wonder about these nurse hauntings. White ladies, men in black top hats, and gray nurses all have something in common. Also, we have questions like, are they distinct spirits who choose to appear in these forms? Or are they just archetypes that have burned into our collective subconscious and cultural memory? It's safe to say that we'll probably never learn the identity of these gray nurses and what I'm going to deem other homogenous haunts, if they're even ghosts at all. But they do make for fun stories to tell in the dark. I know this episode was a little bit different. It's hard to find historic resources for ghosts that are very generic in nature. I did want to cover just like a broad topic, but I feel like I also still delivered on the historical sources there. I hope you still enjoyed the episode. Next week's episode is going to be really different because I'm going to be telling my personal ghost stories. Next week is my birthday week. This week, I'm also getting my second dose of my vaccine, so I'm planning on feeling kind of icky for a few days, and I don't want to be doing a couple hours of research while having a fever. I cannot imagine what I would end up writing in that state of mind. So if that interests you, my personal ghost stories, that will be next week, and after that, we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming. As always, let me know if you have any feedback for me. Leave me a review on iTunes if you're an iTunes fiend. If you're listening on Overcast, hit that little star. It makes me a star. Actually, I don't really know if it does anything. Allegedly, it does. Just tap it anyways. See what happens. And perhaps most importantly, if you do know anyone who might enjoy the show or who would enjoy the show, please share this podcast with them. Word of mouth, a little pyramid scheme, one person tells another person who tells another person is our best way to grow this little family of bibliographers and keep this podcast going. So just remember that if you find yourself in a hospital, keep your eyes peeled for a gray nurse. Never badmouth previous publishers in your revised editions. It's quite unbecoming. And as always, stay spooky. Bye. Ha 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 ha.